Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bulky and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hi there. Hello. So... Megan, we have been talking a little bit, you know, like in text messages to each other about Kingdom, which just finished airing. And, you know, it looked like some of our fandom came into alignment. Yeah. So by Kingdom, we don't mean the zombie (laughs) historical drama. By Kingdom, we mean it's like Kingdom Legendary War or something, but it's basically like male K-pop groups competing competing it's kind of like a reality show but i mean it's all friendly fun for the most part so leah's daughter is a huge fan of straight yeah kids. my 10 year old <laughs> so it's really odd and, to like yeah because i kind of like them too so it's like a bonding thing but like right i don't know and i mean somehow it doesn't ruin it for her that i like it too which is like really awesome and that's yeah. amazing <laughs> That's amazing to me. I was kind of rooting for ATs throughout the whole thing, but I wasn't really rooting for anyone to win because to me, I didn't really care who won. I just really wanted to see good performances and I was rooting just every week for ATs to have a good performance, but I also really love Stray Kids. And so in the last... last I have rewatched this on Instagram an unholy amount. What happened in their last performance? Right. So their last performance was an original song and Stray Kids. So their original song was called Wolfgang. So the leader of Stray Kids is Bang Chan and he is an Australian. He's Korean Australian. He is incredibly attractive. Yes, he's 24. And yes, (laughs) we are dirty women, dirty old women. But it's like, he's just like, I really, okay. So here's the thing to like save me from myself in this. Right. So I'm going to make this like more of a thinky thing with you is I appreciate that I feel like if you're going to be a young girl like crushing on like, you know, your idol, I feel like he is somebody that like at this point, like what he's like projecting and putting out into like public for consumption is generally really positive and really uplifting and really untoxic. And in the last week, he has gotten a lot of praise from the netizens who we know in Korea can be quite harsh for something that he did where he basically was doing like a Q&A and one of his stays, like one of the Stray Kids fans asked basically like how to cope with their period. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're like, I have really bad period cramps. Like, what do I do? And she's asking a bunch of Bang dudes. Chan, well, she's asking yeah. Bang Chan. Well, be- I know, I know it's shocking, but it's like to... A lot of these fans, like these guys are like everything. And Bang Chan does like he gives a lot of advice about a lot of things. Like he's he has like what's called Chan's room, I think like every Sunday where he has like a live thing where he like talks to his fans and he legit answers the question. Doesn't get weird. Doesn't shame. Doesn't even be like, oh, God. doesn't like, shame. You could tell. Like, I think there was like, no, a, he's not like, no, you can tell. I felt like I could sense like a whiff of panic. And then oh, totally. like, like you can see like the little wheels turning of like, I got to like do this yeah. right and respectfully. Right. And he's a 24 year old man. And he was like, okay. In his Australian accent, he's like, get a heating pad, eat some sweets. It was 
the cutest thing I have ever seen. Like the fact that he wasn't, I mean, because it's a natural, it's completely natural. And I remember when I was a kid, it was still kind of treated oh, a little bit. I remember like, like high school guys you know, embarrassing being, and I mean, shameful. Do you, any of you have like high school dude bros being like, you know, yes. I don't trust anything that like bleeds for seven days and doesn't die. Ugh. And doesn't die. We all know Ugh. that like horrific. Yeah. And so. And then yeah. there's Bang Chan, who's like, oh, okay, get a heating pad, eat some sweets, I hope you feel better. And it's like, oh, my God, like, buddy, you are awesome. That's like, super, like that's can you imagine? What, can you imagine being a teenage girl and right. hearing that from in a celebrity that yeah. you idolize? Like, that's crazy to me. So, yes, in addition to, obviously, him, like, what we amazing. What we touch on is in Wolfgang, what happens is yeah. he completely intentionally buffed himself to like the buffest he could get because I guess he idolizes like Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman's workouts and like good for him. It paid off. And he does this like Mm -hmm. shirt ripping off moment. That's just like, it's a lot to take in. (laughs) It's a lot. He has like kind of like dirt streaks on him, like intentional dirt streaks on him. And he has like a chain around his neck and with like a a leash attached to it and it is i can't (laughs) oh it's so much it's there's it's oh and then what was even more amazing is the video clips that they had of him watching his performance later where he was sitting on the couch like hugging a pillow hiding because he was like oh my god i can't he couldn't watch himself he was like that's the thing he's like he did that on stage, but yet him rewatching it, he's like, I can't, I can't. But anyway, we're just huge fans of Bang Chan. It's not because he takes his shirt off on stage. It's the fact that he does project this amazing positivity. And he talks to his fans a lot. Like he always talks to his fans about like supporting other idols, like other idol groups. Like just everything he does is, is clearly very intentional to, again, spread positivity. And I just saw the video where he responded to the period question today. And I like I sent it to Leah. I was like, I'm losing my shit i'm can you believe he did this like again i i I wish that i had that when i was a kid so you know clap 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 to 24 year old bang chan for being just fucking awesome you know know, i mean i guess he's on the cusp but you know like this like i really do just really appreciate this like generation that's coming up that has just so much more like openness towards like acknowledging what is basically in terms of like gender and sexual fluidity and you know the fact that yeah girls get period you know like people get periods (laughs) people get periods periods. people get periods and yeah it it happens like it happens there's nothing to be ashamed of and i actually saw a comment that he he actually didn't use pronouns when he was talking his he, he was speaking in english because i know pronouns in korea is a whole different thing because i don't think they actually like use pronouns but because i heard that sometimes that can be a translation issue from korean to english because they don't fully get pronouns but anyway he was speaking in english and at this point and so yeah so good for him thank you bang chan i mean if you're listening yeah. <laughs> i'm Shout sure you out are. to our friend bang chan and thank you so much for being the type of role model that i can gladly have my young girl look up to if that was me a certain number of years ago that have been like me asking like the new kids on the block what i should do about my period right. and no offense to my new kids but i don't think that they would have been able to respond the same way because of the generation that that was all in yeah you don't think donnie Wahlberg was gonna have like a well considered i would have asked i would have asked i would have asked jordan so <laughs> jordan, jordan might have gotten that. i think jordan could have been okay yeah I actually think Jordan might have been okay. Jordan broke the mold a little bit. Oh, God, we're dating ourselves. I actually was not 
New Kids was like kind of a well, little Well, because bit- they came back. Yeah. Like they right. they were big in the early 90s and then the whole boy band thing switched over to like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Then like yeah. New Kids mm-hmm. kind of made a comeback. And now they're back as like adults too. So. so I saw them live in concert in the fifth grade and I made a sign. I was in the very last row. My back was to the wall. <laughs> and I made a sign for them and it said, Donnie, watch your step by step. Because Donnie had fallen through a trap door and was not in the show. That oh my god! Which was fun because oh I was a Jordan god. fan and I had a Jordan Barbie doll. I slept with naked and I did kiss. We were both Jordan. We were both Jordan fans. Oh my gosh! So I saw them twice. So I'm a little bit older than Leah. So I saw them twice my sophomore year of high school, which tracks because we're five years apart. So I saw them twice my sophomore year of high school, and then I saw them again in 2008 when I was pregnant with my son. Oh my god! Oh my so that god! Is crazy pants, and I can still sing their songs. I had the okay. pins too. I had the pins that were like as big as your face that I would like wear on my body. I mean, I was like the most awkward ten year old too, with like just repping my <laughs> new kids fandom. Anyway, that is nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Well, we're fan. It's fandom days. You know, it's, we're- it's a fandom day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So bringing it back, just so you know, we're not making you cry when you have to edit. We are going to be talking about our favorite heroines this time. So we did a podcast recently. We had a lot of fun with talking about our favorite villains. And we're flipping it over to heroines for today's show. And I just thought that maybe we could just kind of talk a little bit at the beginning about some different type of archetypes that we see in heroines, you know, in romance novels. But I think they translate over to what we see a lot in K-drama as well, would you say? Absolutely. So one that I think that we see an awful lot of is a damsel in distress. So the name says it all. We all kind of know what that means. It's like, you know, the character that needs to be often rescued and is often put in some sort of a perilous situation. And I don't know if I made up this word, Amy, or is this is a real word? I really don't know. I just use it I know so you've been saying it since we talked about heirs, right? Yeah. Like, I but I of, like it a lot. I like it a so, lot. This I may have made up. I may have taken it from someone. I'm sorry. I don't know. But it's describing like somebody who's in that kind of damsel in distress situation. They're usually also a water bottle character. And I use the term water bottle in the sense that like basically the viewer or the reader can like fill up that character with like whatever they want to project into it. So it's usually a fairly bland character that you can kind of project your own like feelings into probably to kind of get put more into like the active part of the romance where you can like really be like part of the drama is my guess. There's just not like a lot in that person's character. So you can kind of insert yourself a bit. You know, then we can flip that a little bit to go to like the diva or bitch type character. And this is a, you know, a heroine who commands a lot of attention, who gets her way a lot. But I do think that, you know, when you have her as a heroine, that there's always like a flip side to that person too, where they have some heart and they have some vulnerability as well. A one note diva slash bitch would not be a fun heroine. Like, I feel like we need a little bit of depth with that, but that's just me. And we'll talk about our heroines when we get to them and see if they fall into this category. But I do like the diva slash bitch because I think that there is always a lot to unpack with that kind of a character. And it's a lot of fun. What's a little like Komu Young. Exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So, and then we also have the girl next door which I always think that's the heroine that you kind of want to be friends with. You know, it's the heroine that you know, like you you know who that is. She lives down the street from you. Easy to get along with. I like that I feel always feel like with a girl next door hero and that it's like my friend. Yeah, I, feel like I was gonna say Parkman Young and anything. She's oh, in. Yeah, that, that checks out too. 
That's but Bong Hee too. You were gonna say Bong Hee, like that's a good one. Yeah, and then there's like the Free Spirit. I don't know if this one feels as popular, but I feel like you know it when you see it, and that's kind of like that like manic pixie dream girl, or it could be like a little hippie. I mean, like just anyone that's kind of like quirky. I'm thinking more of like a Luna Lovegood if you're in like the Harry Potter universe, just like somebody totally. that can be like a little out there. Oh, look it, we've got librarian slash know it all. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is a fun character. When you've got somebody who thinks that they have it all figured out, and then they usually don't. And so I think that makes for a fun heroine, somebody who is a know-it-all and ends up having to learn a lot. And looks damn sexy in glasses, usually. Absolutely. And then we have the femme fatale, which is often a woman who may be a little bit of a seductress, but she is a heroine who always seems to like get her man in trouble. Yeah. And maybe um, like an anti-heroine a little bit too. I think Moon Young could fit in this too. Like she could be a femme fatale. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She could probably be both. Yeah, for sure. So we wrote up a little good heroine checklist. So number one, she is a gal with her own opinions. A strong female lead listens to her instincts and makes her own decisions based on her personal value system. Sure, she might make mistakes, but she'll always try to learn from them. A strong character isn't immune to influence, but they have their own thoughts and feelings about their world and the things that happen within it, a.k.a. agency. We love agency. Number two, she is her own person. Strong female characters don't have to be physically powerful, single, and fabulous, or on a strong career track. All these aspects can be coded as male. They can be in relationships and care about their partners without being weak or codependent. However, a strong female character has her own identity and trajectory that she follows, as well as her own ambitions and goals outside of her relationship with another person. I really think a good heroine has flaws. So we're not looking at like, you know, the old like 1940s Disney princesses. We're looking at like strong female characters who have struggles and flaws like everyone else. But I think what makes them like a good heroine then is how they deal with their shortcomings. Because even the strongest characters can have weaknesses, but that's what humanizes them and makes them relatable to audiences. And number four, she's tough in her own right. What makes a female tough? The term is subjective. Is toughness just a character's ability to physically bring down foes? Or can it be her ability to think fast, under pressure, or negotiate with powerful figures? A stay-at-home mother can be just as tough as a soldier. A woman's role does not necessarily dictate who she is as a person. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, at the heart of, you know, a good romance is the heroine. And, you know, she's taking the center stage. And a lot of the viewers or readers of like romantic drama or romantic books are also women, and they want to see themselves mirrored in the stories that they read. So, you know, often the heroine becomes the reader's alter ego and has a lot of responsibility for how the viewer or the reader reacts emotionally to the content. And before we get to it, a few friendly reminders. Make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode of our podcast. And while you're at it, leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We aren't here to just talk to ourselves, so want to make sure we're giving you the content that you enjoy. Also, follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it into the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. So we asked listeners what you all thought about favorite heroines. And a couple of you responded, and I just wanted to go through a couple of the heroines who got shout-outs from listeners. So Emily says... Jang Manuel, who's played by IU in Hotel de Luna. She's got a fierce vulnerability and a dark past. She comes off as rude, materialistic, and argumentative, 
Yet all that is hiding sadness, grief, and yearning for a life with loved ones she had before being thrown into resentment and rage. Watching her soften through the show has been a fascinating element, and she's fighting for herself, her peace, and closure. Jessica T says Kim Bok-ju from weightlifting fairy Kim Bok-ju. She has drive and learns and grows without being taught by the male lead. Haywire378 says Dobong Soon from Strong Women Dobong Soon because she would still be a badass without her power. And Boonch says a less obvious choice, Kong Ju Un from Oh My Venus. Lawyer, determined, kind, steadfast, and cute. Absolute Mommy says Dal Me from Startup. Despite every obstacle, she never gave up. And Orly11 says Jiho from Because This Is My First Life. A really relatable character full of quiet inner strength. All right. Well, why don't we get to it and talk about who our favorite heroines are and why? So I am going to talk about Gusera, played by Nana or Im Jinna from Into the Ring. So I am the only one who has seen this drama so far. I do think I'm going to put it kind of on our joint watch list because I do want to deep dive this. It's honestly one of my favorite dramas that I've seen. It's fantastic. So I actually don't have tons of spoilers that would really ruin anything about this drama, but still just FYI. And I love this drama a lot. It's hard for me not to gush about the drama as a whole. However, the heroine was my favorite part of the drama. So I'm 80% confident that I can stick to today's assignment. (laughs) Into the Ring. I also saw it referred to as Memorials, which I don't know why. (laughs) Memorials doesn't seem to... Well, I guess... Yeah, whatever. Either way, just so you know, it's all, it's referred to as both. So this was absolutely Guse Ra's drama. This was her story, her conflict, her goals. And her character mixed with the brilliant acting by Nana brought this story to life and made it so much more than a drama about small town politics. It was a drama about how far one woman would go for her family and her town. And spoiler, she went all the way and gave it everything she had. So obviously there is a romance involved in this. It's just I'm not really talking much about that just because the romance was lovely and I adored it. But we're talking about our favorite heroines and her story stood alone without the romance. So when the drama starts, we learn very quickly that Guse Raw has lots of opinions. So if we're going by the heroine checklist, this is her. She's got tons. She has a notebook full of them in like cute little fonts and stickers, (laughs) but they're all ideas on how to make her town better for its citizens. She wants the bus station sign fixed. She wants land around the school safe for children. She's actually infamous at her local civil complaint office for filing tons of civil complaints. I think they call her the tiger moth. Like she even (laughs) has like a code name. And that's where she meets the hero of the drama. He's a new hire put in charge of her complaints because no one else wants to deal with her. She works odd jobs that never stick, mostly because she always seems to get fired because she never lets issues slide. Basically a constant whistleblower. She already sounds super fun. I'm like sold yeah, like, already. So, and this is so hard for me because to me, everything about this drama, like on paper and about her, maybe on paper or writing about it, like of like small town politics, uh, but ah, uh, the way it's shot and the way this character is done, it is extremely compelling. And I would say it's more about a small town. It's more about like a woman really campaigning to make her small town better, which how can you not root for that? I mean, honestly. She absolutely leads this drama with her motivations. I mean, again, it's about her. The hero, while he has his own wonderful conflicts, is really mostly the second lead to her antics. Like, essentially, he just backs her up. It's one of the reasons I actually love this drama, too, is because the romance is just very kind of, like, teamwork sweet. She leads. 
he just kind of gives her support. I, I just adore it. But anyway, with her family in danger of losing their house, she learns that she can earn 50 million won a year as a member of the town's district council. It's kind of like considered to be like the sweetest job you can get because you don't have to work very hard and you get all this money. So she feels qualified because she knows the town in and out, you know, based on her little notebook. And for most of the drama, she claims that she's only doing the job for the money. Like she says it kind of repeatedly. You know, if it wasn't for the money, I wouldn't be doing this. But even when the council decides to suspend the members pay in the face of a budget deficit, she doesn't quit her job. Like she doesn't quit the council job because I think secretly, you know, she loves it and and she thinks she's making a difference. So to, to make money, she swallows her pride and she shills this like green juice all over town, like lugging this like cooler around her neck. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like door to door salesmen. And we can we all know how they're treated, which is, you know, not great, but she, she does it. And she actually does make a difference on the council. And when the plot deepens into like this cover up of the cause of a school fire that killed several children when she was young, that's when Gusera really, really shines. She's like a dog with a bone and she doesn't let up until there's justice. She definitely has flaws. She's for sure reckless. And maybe like a little crazy. Like there are definitely times in this drama where she has full on crazy eyes. Like just she just either she's like had it with people or whatever, but she's she's definitely reckless. I would say she almost thinks too much with her heart. Like she is very cunning, but there's something she feels really strongly about. She's like gonna go all like for it. Star- and, and is she even like a if- female young shit? Because that's the vibe you're giving me. <laughs> um hmm. I mean, maybe. I guess, yeah, maybe. I'm thinking I'm of like the think crazy like, eye. And I'm thinking oh, yeah. of I mean, totally like, straight. yeah, kind of like leading with the heart and like dog with yeah, the bone. Yeah, she can totally be charming. Yeah, I mean, and she can totally be charming when she wants to. I would sh- I would say she's more of a mess than young chick. Like she's full on more of a mess. But yeah, I actually think that that's probably pretty accurate. Like if one person, I'm going to kind of talk about my favorite scenes she has. Like if one person complains about an issue, she's ready to go to battle. She'll go up against the most powerful people in the city, even if it paints a target on her back. So one plot line of the show is about a golf course that has been built across from an elderly woman's home. And the woman like calls Goose Ra to complain about this. And Goose Ra shows up and the woman's like, you got to put on this helmet. And Goose Ra just thinks she's kind of like this crazy old woman. And she's like, uh, I don't need to like wear a helmet like in your courtyard. And but then like, you know, seconds later, this golf ball comes like flying nearly takes off Goose Ra's head and so then she finds out the whole reason the elderly woman invited her over was because the golf course that was built across the street is obviously ill-placed and all the golf balls are flying in this woman's courtyard I mean she has buckets and buckets of golf balls just all in her courtyard from the golf course you know who she is she's Leslie Nope that's yeah she, is. <laughs> she kind of is she kind of is. You know what? That's right. She really kind of is. So when Gu Seira takes the cause to the council level to help the woman, she finds very quickly, of course, you know, that the owners of the golf club have paid off every council member and giving them free memberships in order to keep the golf course in business. And it's one of the reasons that, that the council has ignored this elderly woman's complaints for years. I mean, it runs deeper than that, which I won't get into, but basically Gu Seira will not back down. She is fighting for just this one elderly woman. And during a big event put on by her nemesis, a very high-ranking politician, Gusei Ra crashes the party with a tub of golf balls. And I just can't 
you have to watch the scene to get the full effect because it's amazing. So the whole drama, let me say, is shot very cool, very modern. The camera angles are very unique. So basically, Goose Raw comes in with like this, you know, wire basket of golf balls and she kicks it over. And it's like slow motion. All these golf balls just scatter over this whole like lobby where this event is. And of course, the, the politician is like furious and then Goose Raw just has this like grin on her face and she takes a golf club and she like braces it you know behind her neck and kind of like stretches and she tees up a golf ball and just starts like slamming them into <laughs> the poster of this woman and at one point it like goes right through again it's the poster not the actual woman and it goes right through the politician's you know face on the poster and it's just amazing and you know it's amazing badass and it's a totally terrible idea like it got her publicity for the issue, but it put her on every powerful person's shit list. I mean, she had hell to pay after this, but I, as a viewer, freaking loved it. I mean, I think about that scene maybe once a day. It is so cool. So Goose Raw may be the toughest heroine I've come across. She's stubborn, cunning, and damn good with a five iron. <laughs> so <laughs> during the election cycle and once she's elected, she does have to deal with misogyny and underhanded politics that like set my teeth on edge. Like, you know, I've been in those work situations where I, you know, I'm treated terribly just because of, you know, how I look. And, you know, she's discouraged and seems backed up against the wall time and time again, but she never, ever quits. And I guess what drew me to Goose Ra the most was that I truly wanted to kind of be her. Like, I wanted to be that strong and in the face of what felt like inevitable defeat. I mean, she still cried. She still got angry. She vented to the hero, but then she was always able to pick herself back up and once again, go to political battle and outsmart her opponents. And I just, yeah, I loved her. One of my favorites of all time. So I also need to give an honorable mention to Goose Ra's hair, which is seriously its own character. I mean, it's not like sentient or anything. <laughs> it's not like Poppy from, tr- it's not like Poppy from That Trolls, would be a totally but- new kind of drama. Yeah. But I swear she has like, her hair is its own thing. It's just so cool. And if you don't believe me, just watch Into the Ring. So I guess for you guys, is there a heroine who had qualities that you envied? Yeah, I feel like I see a lot of stuff that I I wish was in me in a lot of the heroines. But I think, you know, kind of two that I would combine is I wish that I could be as bold as Yoon Sari from Crash Landing on You. Like she just, you know, she goes for what she wants no matter what, even when she's in an enemy territory, she doesn't back down. And I just loved that about her. But on the same token, I also wish that I could be as vulnerable as Dong Baek in Camellia because she is not afraid to show how she truly feels. And I think we talked about this when we did the Camellia podcast and how you guys are really good at crying and how I'm not. And so I just, yeah, I envy that about her, that she is able to vent her emotions however she needs to. And, you know, I feel a little bit shameful because we're talking about all these powerful elements and my answers are a little shallow, but that's okay. So I am going to say that I really envy Moon Young's style and it's okay to not be okay. hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, <laughs> does it? Oh my God. Yeah. The entire aesthetic that that heroine mm-hmm. had caused me so much envy. And I think I just mm-hmm. have lived in envy of anyone who can pull off like perfect red lipstick. So look, it is who I am and that's okay. And, it is okay. You know, I do like to give some fucks about others, but I did always appreciate, I think, just her total no fucks because it's just so different from me. And sometimes I feel like, again, like I want to have consideration for others, but sometimes it would be nice to just be a little bit more, I don't know, it just feels so refreshing sometimes to consider being like 
more self-centered and focused. <laughs> so I enjoy that. And then, you know, I'm seconding Dong Baek because, I mean, obviously she nabs Young Sik. So, you know, envious of that. But also, again, I just felt like just like her ability to not back down. I think was really great and to like not be overly wooed by like this overpowering and wonderful man and to like come at it when it felt right for her, I thought was like, you know, something really cool. And then for Untek, look again, she nabs Goblin, AKA Kim Shin. And that is as shallow as the kitty end of the pool, but I'm speaking the truth. Hey, I am right there with you. So no apology necessary. No, agreed. So why don't we get into our favorite part of each episode, which is our K recommendation of the week. And today we've got Amy with K merch. So I am heading away from merch dedicated to specific dramas today and into Korean coffee territory, specifically Maxim coffee. I first noticed the colorful coffee packets when a North Korean army superior offered one to Captain Ri and crash landing on you, which was my first drama. But I realized soon after that these single-serving little tubes figure prominently in many dramas. And at first I shrugged it off thinking, oh, must be Korea's version of Folgers. And I kind of turned my nose up at the idea of instant coffee. I'm not a coffee snob by any means, but I like a strong brewed cup. But as I kept seeing my favorite drama actors enjoying their Maxim, my curiosity got the better of me. So I ordered myself and Leah and Megan a variety pack to try, already knowing that Leah had dabbled and given the coffee a thumbs up. So here's the thing. It is instant coffee, but it's not just instant coffee. Each little packet has sweetener and some sort of cream or lightener as well. And the variety pack I tried includes the original flavor, decaf, mocha gold, and white gold. And honestly, I don't know the difference between any of them. But folks, they are not a strong cup of coffee, nor are they a true latte or anything like that. But they are delightful. And even the caffeinated ones are so super low in caffeine that I can drink it at night while binging my dramas and not have any trouble falling asleep. So if you're a coffee purist, drink your strong brew in the morning like I do, but then kick back and enjoy a Maxim with your K-drama in the evening. I got mine on Amazon, but a quick Google of Maxim Coffee will show you where you can order a little sampler pack near you. And while we're plugging other people's products, how about a shameless plug for our own merch? That's right, Afternoon at Delight now has has merch on redbubble.com. Just head on over and type in afternoon a pod, all one word to find our shop. Want a hoodie with our logo? You got it. How about a pillow that says my other pillow is Kim Soo Hyun's lips? Got that too. And we're constantly coming up with new weird and wacky stuff that we say on the show that we think you need on a mug. So check back now and then for new merch as our podcast grows. Again, that's redbubble.com. Then search afternoon a pod as all one word and merch it on up. All right. Well, we are heading back into our favorite heroines, and it is my turn. And I am going to be talking about Go Eun Chan from Coffee Prince, played by Yuan Hai. So warning, there will be some spoilers ahead for Coffee Prince. Megan, feel free to mute me until I'm done, since this drama is one of the next on your list. But truly, what I'm going to be talking about is kind of stuff that is like, I think, just ubiquitous that everybody kind of knows already about Coffee Prince. But anyway, here we go. I am going with our checklist that we talked about in the beginning to to basically break down what I think about Eun-chan. So she is a gal with her own opinions. Eun-chan took it upon herself to become the breadwinner for her mom and sister after her father passed away. No one told her that she had to do this, but her family is number one to her. So she does what she needs to do to support them from working multiple jobs to posing as a boy to work at Coffee Prince, the first job she was proud to have. 
And I'd like to point out that she didn't intend to lie to Choi Hankul, Gang Yu's character. Hankul assumed that she was a boy because she didn't present as stereotypically feminine. And when he offered her the job at Coffee Prince and said it was only going to be men who worked there, she found herself in a tight spot. She needed the job and she wanted the job. So she did what she needed to do to support her mom and sister. She is her own person. So Unchan has her own goals. She may not fall into the typically male-coded stereotypes for strong women, which we talked about earlier, single and fabulous with a high career trajectory, as we mentioned in our intro, but she puts family first and aims her ambition at taking care of those she loves. As much as she might be falling for Han Kyul, their goals collide, and not simply because he thinks she's a man. For much of Coffee Prince, Han Kyul's goal is to get the coffee shop up and running so he can prove to his grandmother that he's worthy of his inheritance. And then he wants to move back to the U.S. where he apparently designs Lego pieces or toy bricks that don't have a copyrighted name. <laughs> Even once Eun Chan and Han Kyul are in a relationship, her goals and ambitions lie outside of that relationship. When she's offered the chance to study abroad for two years, she takes it, even though she knows it will be a strain on the relationship because it's an opportunity she never thought she'd have and one that will benefit not just her own career aspirations, but will also help her to support her family more than she would have been able to otherwise. And she's a totally flawed character. So I mentioned earlier that Unchan does not intend to lie to Han Kul. She lets him believe his own mistake in order to get a job. But once they become close and she sees him viscerally struggling with his conflicting feelings for a man when he thought he was heterosexual, she does perpetuate the lie because her job is on the line, or at least she thinks her job is on the line. She doesn't tell him, so she doesn't know. She doesn't do it to be cruel, but because she is in a tight spot. And does the lie blow up in her face? Of course it does, and rightfully so. The lie of omission does become more of a bold-faced lie, and she loses Han Kyul's trust because of this and almost loses him. But because we know her story and her struggle, we can sympathize with her and we can forgive her because she literally has two other people depending on her to keep a roof over their heads. And I definitely think that she is a strong, tough heroine. I think Eun Chan is tough and that she is who she is and is unapologetic for not fitting into societal norms or definitions of what makes her a woman. Yoon and Hai had to grapple with this stereotype in deciding to take the role because accepting the part meant cutting off her hair. In an interview with NBC Global Media, she's quoted as saying the following, I had a long discussion with director Lee Yoon Jung about that. I loved the script when I first read it, but I wasn't that eager to cut my long hair. The press and media have been saying that I look prettier than before, so I resisted the idea of cutting my hair. But the role was too good to pass up and I knew I'd gain a lot of experience from working together with so many talented people. And the most important factor about Goen Chan is that she had to look like a boy and have short hair. So I just went ahead and got a short haircut. Even once Han Kyul found out she was a woman, she didn't change her appearance, nor did he pressure her to do so. And I loved that about this drama. Okay, so she let her hair grow a bit while she spent two years abroad, and she came home wearing more form-fitting clothes than she was wearing before. But I also think Italy can do that to you. <laughs> so <laughs> even though she was a bit more feminine when she came home, she still had this air of androgyny that I appreciated. At one point, she even says, and this is during a very emotional scene with our amazing second male lead, Choi Han Sung, played by the butter-voiced Lee Sung-hyun. She's crying and she's like, I'm not a man or a woman. Like she realizes that she does not fit into a definition. She just was who she was and she loved Han Kul. So with this drama being an older one, 
2007 is when it debuted. I love that Un Chan still tracks as a strong progressive character today, hopefully helping viewers embrace the idea of gender fluidity. So a question for you two. Megan, how important do you feel it is that we have heroines who break the stereotypical mold of what it means to be female? Yeah, I can't wait to watch this. It's next up on my list. So I'm all for any media. I mean, Korean or otherwise, that breaks the gender molds. I am someone who identifies on the non-binary scale in a way that is very fluid. So seeing that represented is very validating. I mean, I'm really shocked that this was represented in 2007. It just makes me really eager to watch it. So I can't wait. Leah and I were both shocked too. And Leah, you've already watched the drama. So I'd love your hot take on Unchan. Like maybe one reason why you think she's an important character, even almost 15 years after the drama debuted. Like, I think what I like about Unchan is that, you know, at the beginning, we were kind of going through like our list of different types of heroines. I honestly don't feel like she neatly fits into any of those boxes. Maybe the closest being Girl Next Door. But honestly, I think that like that isn't even a great fit. So I kind of just like that it's a really out of the box character that is, you know, as much as it can for 2007 was like, she's such a forward progressive type of character. And I'm saying she when honestly, I mean, like, that's how the the drama, you know, identifies her as well. But I really do feel like, you know, if it could have been my dream, there would have been like a stronger push towards like the non binary elements that were obviously present in the character. But I think for like the time, it was prog- it would still be progressive today honestly for a korean drama and so i think that really that was what was important was that i think that she really was part of a relationship where love really was love loved it so much so so much me too all right well i'm going to talk about a drama that neither of you have seen as well <laughs> <laughs> and today i'm going to talk about the character of on young yi played by Kong So Ra, and this is from the K-drama Mi Sang, which I am not actually even sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. So if somebody else knows how to pronounce it, please educate me. So I feel like I went through a bunch of different heroines and I landed on her primarily because I rooted so much for her success in the face of systemic patriarchy in her workplace. So I just wanted to throw some facts out that I think is important to like consider as like, you know, consumers of Korean music media. And that is that while I think we can really appreciate that like in these dramas that there's so much like non-toxic masculinity and romance heroes and we see men cry and like, you know, male tears being like, you know, something to be seen without shame. And there's lots of good stuff. There's still some like deeply effed up things that happen, you know, in terms of gender parity in Korea. And that's not to say that like the US is absolved of that by any stretch. But you know, for today's purposes, I just want to talk about some of these things because it relates to the drama. So in 2006, the World Economic Forum ranked the Republic of Korea as 92 in terms of global gender gap among all countries. And by 2020, that had slid to 108. So Korea, the Republic of Korea is kind of in the company of Italy and Japan for the largest gender gap among so-called advanced economies. So while women's health and survival rates in the country are improving, they've been slipping in economic participation and educational attainment. The average Korean woman earns 80 cents on the dollar to a man. And so none of our female listeners out there are probably shocked by this. Most of us have come up against the patriarchy in the workplace. And you know, hey, at least Korea has a codified maternity leave policy. The trouble is, you know, can women who have babies continue to advance in the workforce or be respected by their male counterparts? And the drama Lee Sang suggests no. 
So early in the drama, we see An Young Yi's role as an intern. So she's an intern and she sees a coworker collapse in the office and later discovers that the woman's pregnant for the third time, which the men in the office seem to regard as the kiss of death. And then not only that happens, but also An Young Yi has a female mentor in the office. And this mentor has one child and her struggle is incredibly real as she gets very little wiggle room to have her family life considered in a way that doesn't negatively impact her job prospects. So you see lots of stress in that mentor in like, you know, having to pick her kid up from daycare because her husband has like bailed for some other random business thing, yet she's meant to like be, you know, working till nine at night or something. And so, you know, like An Young Yi is like observing all of this happening in the office. So originally when we meet An Young Yi, she is introduced as a candidate for the internship program and she's seen as the most talented. So she's the only female in the cohort and she nails all the interviews and presentations by simply being better prepared than anyone else. In fact, she wows one of the main characters, Manager O, so much that he spends the bulk of the series telling his own intern, who's played by a rather hapless but incredibly dedicated Siwan, who was in Run On, what he wouldn't do if Young Yi could be his intern. So he's just constantly giving Siwan's character shit, being like, I just wish I had Young Yi. And he, he's kidding, <laughs> but only kind of. And so Young Yi may be all brilliance and talent and innate professionalism and lands being put on one of the most prestigious teams, but her male counterparts couldn't be bigger assholes to her. So she's strong in a way that isn't coded male. She picks and chooses battles and really lives out that like Michelle Obama ethos of like, when they go low, we go high. And as we get more into the show, we see glimpses of like insecurity and vulnerability in her character. So she's not a perfect Cinderella, but she's an innately good person. And I just rooted for her success and for her to show all the haters what she was made of. And I love having romance in my drama, but I really, really appreciated that this show made a conscious choice not to give her an overt romance. So certainly the main three male interns in the drama are like spellbound by her. <laughs> and I dare say that the character of Baki, who is the privileged, impatient, and know-it-all character that's played to perfection by Kong Han Newell, he probably makes the best case for getting a chance. But I feel like it wasn't the point for her to like have a romance with these characters. She has close friendships with the men and some sexual tension, but we just never like get to her like making out like in the break room or something, because really I think it would have like, diminished her role and her agency in the drama. And I also like that she wasn't written in a way that was helpless or as a cold ass bitch. I felt like she is human and genuinely cares about the other interns and I think behaves in a way that is very feminine, but isn't like reductive or undermining. So she isn't as soft seeming as someone like Dong Beck and Camellia, but she is kind of more on that end of the spectrum, although she's like not crying in the office. So not only do we see Young Yi endure her odious colleagues and eventually force them to acknowledge her as a talented equal worth not only respect, but maybe even gasp liking her as a human being. We see her wrestle with the idea of filial piety. So we learn that her father really wasn't stoked to have a daughter and you know, basically because she had the temerity to be born with a vagina, he regards her as his personal piggy bank to foot all his misbegotten spending. And filial piety is that deep-rooted Confucian tradition, you know, of respecting your elders, and Young Yi has just recently paid off his last round of debts. And worse, the stress of the obligation that he's coming back for more money is starting to affect her work performance, which can't happen because A, she's a woman, B, there's this idea that personal life should never 
you know, impede in professional life. And see, again, she's a woman. So she's just being held to such a standard that like her, her father's like blowing up her phone while she's like trying to do work with like her male hater, like colleagues. And it's just like, it's a lot of stress for her. And we later learned that, you know, she had been in another role before this internship where her father had even gone to her last boss to request money. That's how little he respected her. And, you know, when that happened, she was humiliated. She quit her job. She ended up like living on her couch depressed until she watched a documentary on office workers and like got inspired to like get back to it. And finally, she tells her toxic family to get lost and basically like turns her back on the idea of filial piety because honestly, it was not serving her. So in the end, Young Yi doesn't create like systemic change, but she doesn't just endure. She succeeds and she transforms herself. However, I still do find myself worrying about that character because she's a woman trying to make it in a man's world. So I guess a question that I have first, maybe for Amy, is how do you think K-dramas as a whole do on addressing the subject of sexism and the patriarchy? So I think K-dramas, especially those written by women, although we learned in our Camellia podcast that you can have a lot of excellent women written by a man. Thank you, Im Sang Chun. But I think K-dramas on the whole do a good job of highlighting the double standard that exists when it comes to opportunities for men versus women. And I praise dramas for giving us strong heroines, but they also bring up many questions that I want to investigate when it comes to South Korean society and values, especially when it comes to unwed mothers. Like you brought up the idea of, you know, just a woman having a baby in general and how that's kind of like the kiss of death when you're a professional. But we see so many characters in dramas who are unwed mothers, whether that means divorced, widowed, or even a child born out of wedlock, and they are often treated as a social pariah or are stripped of parenting rights in general. And this is all in dramas, just to be clear. I don't know how much this mirrors real life. But like I said, it does raise questions. So yeah, I think we do get to see a lot of strong heroines in our dramas, but I also think that they are still stifled by cultural norms that favor the patriarchy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like another thing is like the birth rate in South Korea is quite low at this point. And when you think of why, I mean, like, it's very much like, you know, I think being traced down to like work pressures, cost of living. Yeah. So I I know it's actually like becoming more of an issue there is like the declining birth rate. But you know, you can see systemically why. So for Megan, you know, thinking back on like filial piety, you know, what expectations do you think we have to take care of parents in our own society? And do you think that we have obligations to financially look after parents as they advance in age? This is kind of a hard question. But I think that sometimes when I watch K-dramas, it is a totally different cultural shift here in the United States. You know, we place our seniors often in assisted living and nursing homes, and some are state-run and taxpayer-funded. You know, and also end-of-life care here in the U.S. is astronomically expensive. So I'm not really sure what it's like in Korea. But and so obviously, I think we have an obligation to look after our parents. But then on the other hand, like, say it's in Young Yi's case, when you have, you know, a completely toxic parent. No, I don't think it's your responsibility to take care of your father who, you know, sort of like, I don't I, I mean, I didn't see me saying but so I'm going to call him a deadbeat, even though he's probably not dead. But it just mean like that no, type I, of... No, I think um, that's fair. He's probably a deadbeat. Oh, okay. I mean, no, I, I don't think that's your financial obligation. I think you're allowed to cut toxic 
family out of your life. Yeah. So I would say it's kind of a two part question. You know, I think all of us would want to take care of our parents or our elderly family as long as they're not toxic for for the rest of their life. But I know sometimes the financial possibility in America just doesn't, well, the financial strain in America doesn't make it. And I also feel like we just don't have the same cultural expectations in terms of like, I feel like, you know, when I think of like my parents, for example, like they've been like preparing for their retirement. Like I felt like it very much like, and they'll be like, we don't want to be a burden because, so it's like a very, to me, it's a very different different mindset. And I'm not saying that it's a better mindset by any stretch. But yeah, there's very much the sense of like the elders going at it alone as seen as like a mark of like expectation rather than like the younger generations looking after the older generations. I'd say that's a very Western thing. Totally. And I think even with the boomers, I feel like boomer age right now, they're like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this myself. You know, I because my parents are the same. My parents are like, we're preparing, you know, they already have they have, they have a life plan, like they have a whole thing planned. And it doesn't involve me or my brother, you know, <laughs> like meaning like, you know, so I, I totally agree. And, and I'm also agreeing that it's not better or worse. It's just a different cultural mindset. Yeah. And the expectation that I know that I have, like that some of my friends have who come from like East Asian or South Asian countries where, you know, there's an expectation that like their parents are going to be moving in with them at some point or something like that. I feel like those aren't as much expectation. Like it could certainly happen, but I definitely don't feel like it's like just a hundred percent like the expectation. All right. Well, let's talk about a few honorable mentions. You know, we went over some like top heroine favorites, but you know, I'm sure we all have like, you know, a couple others that are just niggling around in the back of our minds. Yeah, my honorable mention is Cha Ji Wan, played by Moon Che Wan from Flower of Evil. I think she's actually probably my top heroine, but I wanted to wait until our Flower of Evil deep dive to discuss her because it's a drama that I do not want to spoil in any way, shape, or form until we get to it. We talked about her a lot last episode, but Bong Hee from Suspicious Partner, I just loved her so much. And again, she reminded me a little bit of Gusera. And I'm going for a drama we haven't talked about yet in the show, Descendants of the Sun. I really love the second female lead, Yoon Young Ju, who's played by the always awesome Kim Ji Wan. And she plays a really tough professional soldier whose father is high ranking. And she's in love with like more of like a grunt soldier that like, you know, doesn't have like the rank and status that like her father demands. So he keeps like intervening in their love and she's just not having it. And so basically, I just feel like she's bringing all these powerful men to heal all the time to like get her man and also just be a badass soldier oh god they're like my favorite couple i love them <laughs> yeah same i do want to give one more shout out to Choi a raw from fight for my way i think we will be deep diving that so i don't want to talk about her too much but i would say she's right up there goose raw bong he and Choi a raw for me well how about on the flip side some heroines that we did not love so, you know, not to uh, beat a dead horse who is not named Maximus, <laughs> Leah and I, <laughs> I will always preface that with it's not Maximus. Yeah. Leah and I already <laughs> talked about this in our Airs slash Boys Over Flowers episode, but my least favorite heroine is Gum Jandi from Boys Over Flowers. This is not a criticism of the actress Kuhai Sun, but of the character Jandi. She was emotionally manipulative and an angry eater and just basically the worst. (laughs) Yeah, she really just was the worst. And I guess piggybacking off of this too, back to like hearkening to that episode of Airs and Boys Over Flowers is for me, I just really didn't love Cha Eun Sang in Airs. I just felt like she was the classic water bottle heroine. I didn't feel like she brought like much, nothing about the actress, but like, I don't feel like that character brought much more than like being poor and good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm going to say Untei from The Great Seducer or Tempted. This character is played by Joy, who is an idol from the group Red Velvet. And so I actually really like Joy. I like Red Velvet. And I thought her acting was perfectly fine, but she was completely let down by this script in like so many ways. And... I think that this heroine could have been really great. And I get that this, you know, this was like a remake of a remake of a remake, but I just didn't find it all that successful. And part of it was just because the script just really, really didn't do the heroine justice. I want to recommend a favorite heroine. This is not a romance, but it kind of gels with the podcast because it's from a book that is being adapted into a drama. And that is the book Pachinko that will soon be a drama starring our fave, or Amy's fave, <laughs> Lehman <laughs> Ho. But in Pachinko, which I highly recommend this book, I listened to the audio version. The narrator was fabulous. It really got me like outside getting exercise because I couldn't wait to hear what happened next. So I really love the main character, who is Sunja. And Sunja's from this tiny little island fishing village of Yongdo, which is a ferry ride away from the city of Busan. And her father has, you know, a cleft lip which is meant to like kind of other him potentially. However, he's such a good man that he's like beloved by the town. And then like, basically she's the only child that like survives to adulthood and ends up kind of on this journey through an illegitimate pregnancy into moving to Japan and being part of the Korean exodus that happened right before World War II. And I feel like she is just like a really dynamic character who's full of a huge amount of strength while still being kind of like a quiet character. And, you know, she has agency. There's times when her she doesn't have as much agency. And it's just really interesting to watch. It basically like spans her life from like girlhood to being like an elderly woman. And I think we really see like the breadth of a human life and like the breadth of an experience of, you know, a country through her eyes. And so I really recommend Pachinko by... So I really recommend Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Okay, so what are we all currently watching? Our last podcast, I had two episodes left of Fight for My Way to finish, and I finished Fight for My Way, and then I watched Imaginary Cat, and now I am six episodes into Lawless Lawyer, so I've got a lot going on, and I'm loving, loving Lawless Lawyer so much. Megan and I are going to deep dive Imaginary Cat, so you just wait for Yu Sung Ho and his cat, Buck Gill, and you're going to love it. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Yeah, so I finished Strangers from Hell, which Leah and I will be deep diving because there is absolutely no way Amy's next week. That's our next pod, too. So that's next week. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Good luck to you all. I'm going to have to edit it. I'll have to hear it. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be. I've never been so terrorized and so turned on all at the same time. (laughs) I know. It's going to be fun. So I watched that. That was short. And then so was Imaginary Cat. That was short. Imaginary Cat had surprising depth, really did enjoy it. And so I'm really excited to just go full on crazy cat lady with Amy about it. I mean, honestly, if you're listening and you want to watch something real quick, seriously, watch Imaginary Cat. So Yu Sung Ho is precious. And Anyway, so I think I'm starting Coffee Prince next just because we have it on the schedule to do a deep dive. So I need to watch it. But you yeah. may not love it out of the gate because Amy and I almost DNF'd it after like yes. two episodes. So keep at it. Keep at okay. it. After episode two, okay. you're going to be all in. Okay. And I'm thrilled that Amy is loving Lawless Lawyer because, again, I really, really did like that drama. It's just, you know, 
it's not all about the romance for me. It's all about Lee Junji and being yeah, but, badass. Yeah, but I will say, because so. I just finished episode six, and there's already romance by episode six. So, yeah. There is. I mean, I'm not no, going to spoil No, I'm not. But I'm but saying, yeah, like, it's, it's not like it's yeah. not there, but I get, but, like, the revenge plot oh. is the story, and I'm totally there it, for it, and I'm totally there for great. Lee Junji wearing tailored Ugh. suits every freaking episode. Every single mm-hmm. one. He and looks kicking, great. And he kicking looks- ass when he needs to in them, like, getting into legit fights uh-huh. in three-piece suits, like. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And yeah, just to clarify, if like we're saying like, oh, Amy and like Megan are doing a pod or, you know. We I, fired Leah. They fired me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's um, <laughs> like, you know, it's summertime now. So like there's a little bit of travel that's going to be happening. So like one of the nights that we need to record is when I'm going to be flying to the East Coast for five weeks. Or I guess not the East Coast, but Eastern. Midwest. <laughs> It's Eastern time. I'm, it's going to Mich- I'm going to Michigan. Okay. I consider the East, the far East. <laughs> so yes, I shall be out East. <laughs> yeah. While well, they're talking about the cat. And I'm excited to hear about this cat because I'm not a cat person. So God love the cat. So I'm watching Mr. Sunshine. I did wonder after finishing Moon Lover, Scarlet Heart Ryo, which is not an upper, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this to myself? And I just decided, Not you know what? Upper. Like, I almost didn't. And I'm like, yeah, I think I might just do like the lawless lawyer thing with Amy. And then I'm like, you know what? F it. Go big. Go home. Mr. Sunshine ripped me apart. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to spoil much. It's a really cool historical because it's set like a little bit in like 1870, just real quickly. And then it like leaps into like the very beginning of the 20th century. And it was just like this time of like big flex where like the hold that China had on South Korea or on Korea, not South Korea, it was just Korea, has waned. And now we're seeing kind of like the sharks in the water in terms of like Japan interests and American interests. And yeah, and there were like aspects that have already happened early in the episodes with American history and involvement in Korea or Joseon that I didn't know about. So that was interesting. And I believe we're having like a love pentagram, which is also interesting. Like there's much like I'm trying to connect the dots of like who's going to love who. And I I think we're going to have a pentagram here. And in it is Kim Tae-ri, who I really enjoyed in Space Sweepers. I thought she was a badass in that. And I think she's a badass in this. And it also has Byung Yohan, who is in Misang, and I loved him so much in Misang. And I think he's going to be a very similar character in this, which is someone that like you kind of hate, but then you kind of love. <sighs> yeah, in Misang, he plays kind of like this blue collar guy who is a bit of a D, but then like is just amazing. And I loved him. And in this, he's like an upper class, like near to well fiance, who I believe is going to have like a good arc. So anyway, I'm really enjoying it so far. It is, it's not slow low because lots happens but I feel like it's taking its time to set up but now I feel like I'm kind of on episode five and we're like rocking and rolling at this point it's just at the beginning yeah it was funny because it's not a quiet drama by any means there's like war and spies and intrigue and like whatever it just took like a little bit of time to be like okay all these characters need to like come together and start like making the story right like be cohesive yeah and now it's definitely that and you're happy you had the grounding to begin with. And it does have, unfortunately, some of those American quasi actors with some accents. It's not terrible. I mean, I've seen much worse. I will say, I mean, honestly, the production is incredibly high. 
And so, as we said, next week we are doing Strangers from Hell. Leah and I, we will miss Amy, but she does not want to be involved not in this. Not one little bit. I assigned it. I assigned it to them. I said, I'm not going to be around on the 16th. You guys do this and, and leave me out of it. If you want to just like binge mind it. F yourself, it is only 10 episodes. It is. Mm-hmm. You can binge yeah, it. It is week. not a romance. And it then- is not a romance. <laughs> Well, 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 it's, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe for one of the characters, it's a romance, but no, like, there is some babe going on. So I said this on Twitter, Strangers from Hell is kind of like, I kind of got like American Psycho, Fight Club, but then also those like backwoods, inbred killer cannibal, like American horror movies, it kind of had that too like, like it was just the deliverance really... set in soul <laughs> yeah like deliverance set in soul i mean i'm talking like i mean there's no like piggy situation but i just mean <laughs> thank god because that, that would have just taken everything over yeah. the top but anyway we'll get into all the teeth bracelets it's really it's next just week. about murdering but i probably it's, it's, it's just it's about murder. me it is if you can hang with murder it's amazing. Truly, truly her. amazing. It's a psychological yeah. mindfuck. If you want to watch it in a week, you know, you can do it and talk and get into it with us. But that is it for yeah, today. On that yeah. note, so <laughs> thanks for hanging with us tonight. Good luck, everybody who's going to hang with the pod next week. It won't be me. And have a good <laughs> night, everybody. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!